0: Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Alan Bradford here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And with me today is Terry Ishii in Austin, Texas. Welcome Terry, glad you're here.
1: Yeah buddy, I'm excited yeah, it's, to be here.
0: It's good, and it's just the two of us today. Uh, today we're gonna be talking about sustainability. That seems like one of the biggest questions we've been coming across or hearing about is this idea of, hey, so yeah, we're in this missional incarnational conversation and it's been going on for a while now uh, what does sustainability look like? What is, what does it mean, uh, for sustainability? And so I guess I want to start with this. Um, what are some of the conversations you've been having, Terry, either, you know, in your own little network, your own world, or in like, you know, the the greater network, the forge tribe, different partners and pastors, when it comes around this idea of sustainability, what are some of the things that you're hearing?
1: Yeah, I, that, it's, it's really good. I think one of the things uh, that I'm hearing over and over again, and I'll just, I, I mean, I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, a, a buddy of mine and a, and a Forge uh, church partner um, who we're, we're doing some coaching with, Josh Yurton at Restoration, He we just had a phenomenal conversation recently about this and boiling it down to like, what do we want people to do? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, we want to mobilize the people of God. Uh, we want to see people living on mission, whatever that looks like in their context. Um, but that that's a nebulous thing. Even just what I just said, it's very nebulous. And so what is it we want people to do? And then what, what kind of burden do we want it to be? You know, Jesus talks so much about his burden is the light and to, 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 to live life in a Jesus way should be something that is life giving and not something that, that buries us. And, and there have been uh, times where mission feels burdensome. And so talking about how do we do mission in a way that's sustainable, uh, that helps us have it as, an, as a life-giving aspect of our everyday life and not just something that I have to do. Um, you know, I think you're more apostolic, gifting people, those who maybe have uh, the apostle gift or the evangelist gift. Maybe even the prophetic gift, who this thing is life-giving because they're getting to tap into a part of their 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 gifting that they don't necessarily get to tap into that that can add sustainability. But the longer you do it, there's a lot of potential for just burying you to being so kind of consumed by it that you you need you need to really, you almost would just want to quit and walk away from it. And so the big question that I'm always throwing around is uh how do we do this thing in a way how do we how do we engage the mission of god in a way that i'm still happily doing it a decade from now rather than 10 months from now and so yeah i mean so that's that's kind of the genesis of where this has been rattling in my head
0: yeah that's good because i like i know so i look at this conversation uh from a couple different perspectives you start started with josh um and you know, here he is. He's a pastor in Virginia, right? That's where Josh is at. He's a pastor in Virginia, doing uh, some great stuff work work there. And um, you know, he is trying to uh, serve a community, lead a community. Um, and, and a lot of the work that we do in Forge is with pastors, network leaders, nonprofit leaders, things like that. And a lot of the conversation that I'm hearing, um, not always, but a lot of the conversation I'm hearing is especially during this time and they're just, there's tired, they're wore out. They've lost the joy of doing what they do because it feels like a lot of them are looking at the toolbox that got them to this place and they're going, one, I nobody ever taught me how to navigate a global pandemic. That's right. Um, two, oh yeah, all the stuff that's going on with the church. I, I don't know how to navigate all the different um, cultural shifts, all the things that are happening, all the stuff that's going on. Nobody helped me, trained me, mentored me, coached me through this stuff. Um, And so they look at their toolbox and they're like, I got nothing. I don't know how to do this, which just leads to, uh, I'm just, I'm more, I came into this, this thing with this passion and I'm wore out. Now I would say that's not always the case because I'm talking to a lot of other pastors and leaders right now who are really excited about this time. And they see this time as like, oh, there are things happening and I can't wait to be a part of it. But for the most part, even before COVID, so minus COVID, the idea of sustainability was huge. Um, and what we've seen is, you know, what the missional conversation has been around for what, 10, 15 years in, the, in America, longer than that, really,
1: sure. yeah, but yeah.
0: really taking a predominant space the last 10 to 15 years. And some of the stuff that we've gotten back from people is, yeah, we tried it. We got burned out. We're done. Like, we're not doing it. I'm like, I don't really think you tried it. I think you added it to the things that you're already doing and it yeah. doesn't work that way. And so when we look at this, sustainability and um, how you continue this, because this is hard work, is a huge issue.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where, and when you think back to how we do mission, or, or really even how we approach the, the missional incarnational conversation, uh, there, there are a lot of uh, priorities or a lot of motivations that people take uh, when doing that. Some come to the conversation out of a, 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 a sheer sense of desperation because they're, they're realizing in their current circumstance, the church growth thing's not working for them. They're not seeing the numbers they want to see. And so they're like, well, let's just mobilize people. Let's look at this as a project. And so uh, that can be a, a, an insanely taxing uh, methodology. If you're looking and relying on mission, the, mis- the mission of God to grow your church, you're going to wear a lot of people out. And you're going to excite some people who have that, those certain giftings where they're going to be like, Oh my gosh, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to get outside the church and we're gonna do that. But again, if the motivation is simply church growth, you're, you're going to, again, you're just using people's. Gosh, I want to be sensitive how I say this, but basically you're just going to chew people up and spit them out. Uh, It's just another way of using people in the church, which that's something that we're going to have to reckon. I think the reckoning is happening now with the, the church in the West on, on some of that ways. And, and, and again, we're just, we're just shift, we're just changing the fuel of the machine, right? It's yeah. like, Oh yeah, well we want you instead of serving in children's ministry, we now want you to do these things. But again, at the end of the day, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to end up with people who are just exhausted and, and and really tore up. And so again, posture, uh, motivation, those are key 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 things that help us with sustainability Uh, again this is core dna kind of stuff anytime we work with a church partner um that's one of the main conversations we want to have is looking at the core level that your dna is is embracing the missional incarnational conversation from a place of what why are you doing this like what is the true reason and purpose if it's just to get bigger numbers on sunday again you're just you're just switching fuel you know, you're yeah. moving from, you know, it to let it or vice versa. And so what, what we know in this game that if you are, if you're really wanting to see some sustainability, uh, you have to have some, some things in place in your practice that one is life-giving. So in other words, it has to be something that when you cast a vision for this, it actually excites people. It, people look at that and i like, oh my gosh, that sounds so wonderful. I've got a couple of churches that they they look at, Hey, we want to change how we gather on Sunday. And there, I mean, I think one of the things we're seeing in COVID, there are a lot of people who are realizing is like, uh, if I don't go to church every Sunday, that's, that's kind of awesome. There are people are like rediscovering, you know, uh, why people haven't been coming to church, but like once a month anyways. Um, and so giving people freedom to have a different way of practice um, even on a Sunday morning where they're seeing brunches and those kinds of things that are utilized for the kingdom of God, that's exciting to people, but it can be life-giving at the same time. And so all of that goes into sustainability is, is what's your posture. What's the priority there?
0: Hey, you got to watch that Terry, because you know, it says in scripture, they got together at the beginning of the week, every Sunday at 10 30, to do all this stuff. So you, you got to not mess with that every week stuff, man. Yeah. You got to you got to watch it. Yeah. And and I think, so the other part of this too is, um, you know, we started by talking about pastors and a lot of the work that we do with Forge is with pastors or church leaders, network leaders, nonprofit leaders, but it's also the sustainability of people that we're trying to mobilize in the mission, which I think is what you're saying is, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are just tired and wore out. Like just as much as, as these leaders are, our people are tired and wore out. And they're trying to navigate this. You know, I, I just had a conversation with a guy um, who does a residency for post-college graduates. He does this, you know, nine-month, 10-month residency. And he said to me, every application he's got on has the words anxiety and depression on it. Mm. And, and it's just like, yeah, that's very telling that this, you know, generationally, we got a lot of people um, dealing with that. And now, I don't know, maybe not even just generationally, it's just a lot of people dealing with anxiety and depression. And what does that mean? And that's going to affect your sustainability. That's going to affect your long-term, how do you actually move forward? Um, so yeah, I I think the, the issue's out there. So I guess here's my question to you, Terry. When you look at this conversation, what are the um, what are some of the barriers to sustainability?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest barriers, I mean, there are, I think there are several that are key. And I know Alan Hirsch has written on this uh, topic uh, a, a bit in the past, but one of the things that just comes to me, and this is more out of, my experience in working with churches and, and hearing their story um, is the methodology of mission can be a huge barrier. Um, it's a beautiful thing when I have a conversation with a pastor and they come to the realization that's like, "Hey, I want to take serious the mission of God. Like, let's do this." That's a beautiful day. I mean, that I mean, talk about. I I walk away from those meetings and I'm like, "This is this is what I want to do for the rest of my life." I love that. Uh, unfortunately, what sometimes happens is people who will walk away from that conversation who are like, now, like, hey, I'm all in on this mission of God thing. Let's really, let's really kind of put this at the center of what we're doing. Um, but often we will go about it in a way that can just be really burdensome. And so, how we do the mission of God, how we encourage people, both from the leadership level uh, to the congregational level, you know, if you if you think about um, if you think about uh, your, your organization uh, as, a, as an octopus uh, or anything with a tentacle, you know, I guess a starfish would kind of serve that purpose too or anything with a bunch of arms. Um, but the anything, idea that,
0: anything with a tentacle, sorry.
1: Well, yeah, it works. Uh, <laughs> yeah, C-
0: Continue your analogy, keep going.
1: Yeah, well, there, well, there was a recent Oscar short that was nominated about uh, an octopus. And so I was thinking about that, but anyways, okay. the idea from the center to the edges Um, You know, when we, a lot of what we do is we work with leaders, right? So we'll help churches create discipleship uh, strategies and pathways. And often the first group of people that we work with are the kind of innovative leaders, those who are like, hey, I'm all in. Um, And that's one level of people that we want to definitely help create a, a really sustainable, robust methodology to mission. Um, but we also have to keep in mind all the way to the edges of the tentacle, all the way the, to the edges of the organization, um, that what is it that we want? Well, how do we want mission to manifest there? And and often that's actually more important than what mission, how mission manifests at the center. Because um, at the center, we're going to, we're actually going to create um, a, a, probably a bigger commitment. Because they're at it's at the center with those leaders probably have more time, they probably have more resources um, again, they may have calling like we we're all called to this. I believe every person, every follower of Jesus is called to this way of life, but sometimes you have to help people understand that calling at the center, the calling is almost. Like assumed, like people are very yeah. You don't have to convince me. I'm calling. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, competency. They're gonna they're they're gonna be more exposed to the conversation. They may, like, they may be listening to this podcast right now. The people on the edges probably not. They're listening yeah. to some like a murder murder show, type, you know, or whatever people <laughs> are listening to podcasts. You know, I think, Jack I, think I
0: think mostly about octopuses.
1: Probably there's probably some phenomenal octopus uh, podcasts out there, but like they're they, the competencies, they, they, people at the center already know this. And then the, the big one is capacity. Uh, people at the center, they're going to have capacity for this, but people on the edges that that's just something that their capacity they're they've got a lot of things going on. So time is a big issue. So how does mission manifest at the edges where it's robust and life changing but at the same time, life-giving. I think that is the biggest barrier is finding that sweet spot where you can call people to a a way of life that's very habit-driven, happen fo- habit-focused, but it doesn't drown them. It doesn't bury them. And that's much easier said than done. And I think there are a lot of people uh, who seek out for that and then they don't successfully hit that That sweet spot, and they discount this. They're like, "Well, it it doesn't it doesn't work," because it's probably the edges is in a stark uh, contrast to what they have going on at the center, and it's it's just disruptive. And so that's one of the things that I I love where Forge America is really kind of not even shifting, but we're putting more energy towards is how do we how do we help churches and leaders find that sweet spot where people at the edges at, at, where, where in, in, in the every everyday aspect of life are finding that really good balance of, of, of life-giving and life-changing.
0: Yeah, that's really good. And I think in that same, uh, the article you referenced uh, from Hirsch, he talked about one of the barriers being the idea of Sabbath. And that's one that I've been trying to reclaim uh, personally in my own life um, because you know what, you know, Terry, we're hardworking entrepreneurial Americans. And so the idea of Sabbath is, is good for other cultures and other people, but not so much for us. Cause we're go, 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 go. In fact, you know, I've been a part of an organization where it was like, you were expected to work 55, 60 hours a week. Like that's what we expected. Cause you're, this is what we do. Uh, and inside that organization, they really rallied around um, an article by a, a guy named uh, Mike Eccanelli, who's the grandfather of youth ministry, which I love Mike Eccanelli. Yeah. Uh, but this is one of the writings I actually uh, eventually started to disagree with. He had this article that was on the, um, if you guys remember the uh, the Wittenberg door, uh, and he would always do this article called the back door, which he would just write. And sometimes I would get the Wittenberg door uh, just just for the back door, just for the Eccanelli article. But he wrote this one where he talks about this idea of clearings and he, he kind of references his life and how his life is like a jungle where he's cutting through all the bramble and da da da, And then, Oh, he finally gets to come to this clearing. And the clearing is where you can like assess the damage and, and kind of take stock and, and heal and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he's like, I didn't have my first clearing till I was 50 years old. And I think he, I think he says like it was like a health issue that, that took him into this clearing that God just set him down. And 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 this was an article that the, this, this organization used to, and they would like have their staff jeeps that were called clearings and, and all these different things. And I was like, I, I actually think this is all crap. I don't want to live in my life in such a way to where yeah. I have to find this space all of a sudden, or God's going to cause a health emergency in my life to cause me this space. I want, I think that's what the idea of Sabbath is all about. Now, the idea of Sabbath in this community, I don't think it was very, very strong. In fact, it was, it was kind of like, oh, no, again, it was like work, work, work. But the idea of Sabbath is something that we do as as, as the American church. We need to reclaim what that means. Uh, I read Abraham Heschel's uh, Sabbath. And a, he's a Jewish author, so you got to read it through that lens. But it rocked my world how Sabbath was the frame for the rest of the week, not like something you just stagger into. Then you just be like, oh, I made it to the Sabbath. This is great. Sunday is meant to be the start of the week. It's not just the weekend. It's the start of the week. And Sabbath, if you want to say it's on Sunday, whatever you want to say, I don't care. But the idea of Sabbath, it frames the rest of the week for you. And for me, that's been huge. The idea of Sabbath in this anxious, depressed, unknown times, what does the idea of Sabbath really mean? And, And reclaiming that idea. I also think it's the big idea of like, oh, this isn't up to me. I take my hands off of it. And as hard, like, again, work, work, work. This is, you know, we got to do this. We've got to form this. We've got to control this and create this thing. It's a very American thing, a very entrepreneurial thing. But Sabbath says, no, take your hands off and realize this is God's. This is not yours. This is God's. And for me, that's a huge um, reclaiming the idea of of Sabbath um, and not Sabbathing, I guess, really not Sabbathing is a huge barrier to mission.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the, the uh, gosh, it's it's how, it's how we choose to live. Um, you know, Alan doesn't come uh, right out and say, hey, Sabbath is the issue. Um, I mean, really, he's saying Sabbath is the answer to the issue. And really, yeah, it's, yeah. it's our obsession with work, how we work and those sorts of things. Yeah. And whether you're in the church or out of the church. I mean, in the West, we really missed the mark on this work-life balance. I've got a I've got a friend that uh, I had a just was catching up with a couple weeks ago, who lives in Finland, um, and you know this is this is a guy who
0: you know he's he's
1: been to seminary has the 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 MDiv and but has a business degree and uh, he works in um, he's a he's a computer programmer so he he's actually a, a part Finnish part American moves back to Finland or moves to Finland where his mother was from uh, starting their new life there. And he's working for tech companies with an American ideal idea of what work is and come to find out in Finland um, you know, when, when in America, when you say, Oh man, I had a brutal week. I worked 50 hours this week. I worked 60 hours this week. It's almost a badge of honor. Uh, here it, it almost is like proving to it, it almost says something about who you are when you say I work 80 hours a week I work 70 hours a week 60 hours a week whatever it may be uh, Well, in Finland he was saying it's a very different world where in Finland uh, if you work if you say oh man I worked 40 hours this week I worked 50 hours this week 60 hours this week they look at you like something's wrong with you it is not a badge of honor it's actually a, a badge of you're unhealthy what's wrong with you uh, even to the point where it's illegal to work more than 37 and a half hours. Um,
0: oh, wow. Hold on. I got to look up flights to Finland. What yeah, right. To- <laughs> and so,
1: yeah. And, and and they have like mandatory time off and, and they work yeah. working now. And it's one of those things where if, if you're forced to work, you have a week where you're, you're, if you're like Nick, he does emergency work. So sometimes he has to work on Saturday to fix a bug. But the way that the system is built is that you, if you're working overtime, it's not additional time that you get paid for. It's like, no, you get additional vacation. Like they, you have built in time where you're going to, you're going to get rest from that extra work. And he was telling me his first like vacation, his first time off, he got, uh, he got three weeks off and uh, they, and, and it's very common to holiday. That's what they call it in Europe. They holiday, they went off to the woods and kind of get in nature and he said he woke up on that first Sunday, the first weekend, and he was like, this was amazing. I got to reconnect with God and nature. I'm ready to go back to work. And everyone he was there with is like, no, 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 no. This is simply the beginning. You have three more weeks of this. And he sat there for three weeks and decompressed and, and, and yeah. he rested in ways that he had never rested. And man, when he was telling me about this, dude, like, I am not kidding. I, the first thing I did was how do I get to Finland? Like, how (laughs) how do I find a way to live that way? Because it was so appealing that it's that very idea of Sabbath is like, I am, you're, you're beginning the work from rest rather than clearing through a jungle. And then hopefully you find a suitable space in life. And I'm 41 years old. I'm 42 years old. See, I don't even know how old I am. This is how bad it is. <laughs> I don't want to wait till I'm 50 to figure out how to live in a sustainable way. Like how I want my daughter to like learn from day one. This is how you live life. That makes everything sustainable. That makes work enjoyable. Um, you know, I hear people all the time talking about the theology of work. Uh, this is something that that it's, it's becoming bigger and bigger in the, in the West because people have such bad views and attitudes towards work because we do it so poorly. Um, And and we don't have that. And I think that's a huge, a huge contributor to burnout um, and, and a lack of sustainability in mission because I'll be honest. I mean, if I had to work 60 hours a week and then you want me to like invest in my neighbors, you want me to invest in my neighborhood, you want me to invest in um, the places I, I, I live, work and play one I'm probably not going to do a lot of playing if I'm working 60 hours a week. And, uh, I really don't want to do any kind of living outside of like plopping down on my couch and watching what Netflix has, you know, best to offer. And so, yeah, so that, I think that's a huge, uh, that's a huge barrier that has to be dealt with that work-life balance. Well, and I think the work-life
0: balance, again, I think that goes back to the idea of control, because if I work harder, I can control the outcomes or I can control this, right? Um, I can control these things and and control is just an illusion I mean it's so and it comes back to we think we can do it we can manipulate and strategize and figure this out in the end when no this this is a god work this is a spirit work and you're supposed to join him you cannot control it in fact it's just all going to come back on you um, yeah I love that and and it comes back to the, the idea of resources how much time do you are you going to invest and where's that going to be best? Spent, you know, uh, I think that's huge. So, what are some of the other barriers to sustainability that you're seeing?
1: Yeah, and and before we jump onto that, because I think there are a handful of others. One thing I'd like to just say uh, to to that whole work life bar- uh, barrier time. I think that that's probably the other one that we could talk through is time. You know, we're not rested well enough. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. Those are so, uh, several boundaries as well. And I think one of the things that we have to as leaders, you know, because again, no one on the edges is listening to this podcast, but you pastors who are leading, you know, pastor, let me talk to you right now. Uh, you are not going to successfully help change your work hours of your people. Like if you can, you can preach all you want and tell them, Hey, uh, don't work. You know, <laughs> if you, especially if you want them to tithe and not, to your church you, people are going to work what they're going to work. And so we can't, there's very little we can do. We can encourage people. We can hold an ideal. We can, we can preach a better way for sure. And we should be doing that. We should be speaking on this work life balance. We should be encouraging our people to, if, if Jesus is the Lord of our life, if Jesus truly is Lord of all things, he's going to be the Lord of our schedules and how we work and all that. And we should definitely cast a vision of what that looks like in a very healthy way. But Uh, In light of that, what we can best do is provide um, opportunities, pathways, disciple them in ways to do mission that is simple. And so I think that is key. And again, we can probably talk about solutions and best practices here in a bit. But I think that's going to be a a key piece is understanding um, the best best way forward is simplicity. Um, So that's good well let's do
0: this real quick let's wrap this up and get to best practices and uh that idea but give me uh give me just a couple of other like broad topics of like some barriers that you're saying so time is definitely one so the american we talk about that the idea of sabbath and and you know the the idol of the idol of work the idol of productivity the idol of all that um and how we navigate that talk about the idea of time and how we create margin what are some of the other kind of broad topics
1: yeah, I think one of the the bigger ones, and and Hershey talks a bit about this as well, is the the loner individualism idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the being the lone ranger. Um, you know, we as Americans, we we have this pursuit of individualism. I mean, we're, we're we we actually um, we pride ourselves on that, and that's a big part of American culture. And so uh, there is this the, the Horatio Alger's American dream of you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's something that I do. It's an individual process. Every single person is responsible for themselves. Um, uh, when, when we read the scriptures and, and, and we look at a Hebraic mindset of the faith that we truly have, it's, it's very different from an individual standpoint. It's, it's very communal. Um, I think Luke 10 is very, very clear that Jesus always intended that we should seek to engage in mission two by two at a minimum. Um, and so uh, being a part of a, a, a community of faith, a church, a, a church body congregation, um, it's, it's, it has to go beyond passive participation. And so if we are content with being the only communal experience we have is very passive, essentially I'm standing or sitting next to some people while I'm embracing an individual message and an individual worship with an individual, you know, the, the narratives and the tapes that we play during the, the Sunday gathering for ourselves that no one else hears, but that's between me, God, and my self-conscious. Uh, if that is the only participation we have, it's extremely passive. Um, And and we need to move to more of an an active participation. And the only way that we have a true active participation is in community and embracing the communal experience and not just simply being standing next to people. But what does it mean to truly live the way of Jesus uh, in in developing yourself and the community uh, of of followers uh, the way that Jesus, Paul, and other heroes of faith did? Yeah.
0: That's good. That's good. Well, let's, let's move on to some of the uh, best practices, man. So, so what are some of the best practices for sustainability that you either are participating in that you've heard about that you're seeing?
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that's, that's truly helpful is uh, having a paradigm shift of how we gather. Um, One of the things that I'm having a lot of conversations with leaders and pastors uh, about is how do we gather differently And um, I think a lot of people, when they hear that, they're assuming I'm talking about logistically, um, how many people wear masks, no masks, blah, 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 all of the COVID narratives. Um, what, What I'm more interested in is when we gather, what is the actual purpose of that gathering? And the church for so, so, so long, actually I would say a majority of the church's history to its detriment, uh, and again, please do not hear what I'm, I'm, I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not saying that studying the scriptures is bad because that's where I'm going. Uh, we put a focus on study in our gathering. We gather for the purpose of study. Now, I am all for studying the scriptures. I think the scriptures are important. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not saying don't study the scriptures. But what I am saying is I think we need to shift our paradigm from study focus in our gatherings to habit focus. Can we look at our gatherings and intentionally put a habit focus in that gathering? And what I mean by that is when, we, when people get together, are they getting together for the purpose of reinforcing the habits that we are all uh, agreeing uh, as a community to live out? Uh, because what I've discovered, and I, and I think uh, this is not uh, groundbreaking, especially from, from a pastor's perspective, when we gather for study, uh, it's very easy uh, and very often habits don't follow. Um, we, people will get together and they will study and study and study, but we know the, the odds of them getting out and living it out, applying it, doing all of that is very, very low percentage. Uh, but what we have experienced in, 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 the, in recent years in working with churches is that when churches have a habit focus, when they gather for the purpose of reinforcing the habits of living a way of Jesus, uh, you cannot do that successfully and do it over a long period of time, sustainability, without an element of studying the scriptures. The scriptures become so much more important. When we have a habit focus, when we simply gather for the sake of the study, we all know as pastors, rarely does it actually equate to any kind of movement or action. It's again, it's just another arena for passive uh, participation. And so shifting our gathering focus to habits is crucial. So, that can, one, can I play off
0: on that one for a second? Yeah, go for it. So, um, there's, a, there's a study that was out um, several years ago, probably five, six, seven years ago, um, by uh, two people, uh, Angie Thurston and Casper Turkile. Oh, brother, I'm really sorry for murdering your That's name. Exactly
1: how he would say it. Yep. Is
0: that how we say it? Oh, wow. Uh, I just told totally no, him that. I have up. no idea. I'm okay. Up. I have not a clue. But they, they basically uh, did this study that said, hey, oh, hey, the millennials are leaving church, but where are they going? And so the, the study is actually called how we gather. And uh, if you look it up, you just, you just, you know, look that up. Angie Thurston, Casper, Turk, Kyle, uh, how we gather, you could find it. It's all out there, but they basically came up with, and I think this goes to what you're saying, uh, Terry, they came up with that basically millennials are leaving, but they gather in different arenas. And there were six themes, really seven, but six themes that came out to their gathering. Okay. Here are the six themes. One, community, so the whole idea of valuing and fostering deep relationships that center on service to others, which is interesting. Uh, The second theme was personal transformation, so making a conscious and dedicated effort to develop one's own body, mind, and spirit. Uh, The the third one was social transformation, so pursuing justice and beauty in the world through the creation of networks for good. Uh, The fourth one was purpose finding, so clarifying, articulating, and acting on one's personal mission in life. Uh, The fifth was creativity. So giving space um, to, to activate the imagination and engage in play. And then the last one was accountability, which is holding oneself and others responsible for working towards defined goals. They ended up coming with a seventh theme later that was called, they called it something else. And that something else was something greater than themselves, hmm. like, you know, a spirituality. There was definitely that. And then they they did a case study on different places where where millennials are gathering based on these themes. So the community and personal transformation was CrossFit, you know, I mean, you you get in there, I, I didn't even think there's accountability in that, you know, so you go to CrossFit, you know, I'm, I'm working on, I'm in community with other people and I'm transforming my body. And there's some people holding me accountable to that. Uh, dinner churches were an example. I mean, different things where people are coming up. It's a fascinating case, there, but I think you're right. Uh, for so long, the church has been held hostage by really a couple of different things yeah. that we gather for. So, how do we create um, spaces for people to gather in other ways that appeal to a broader sense and activate the part of, you know, the God given parts of us that are like, oh, yeah, like this, this brings me life? So that's great, Terry. Are, are there any other best practices?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I'm want to piggyback on that piggyback on the idea <laughs> of community um, because I think it's so crucial because I see this mistake happening over and over again. And actually my church planting journey 14 years ago, I made this exact mistake. Uh, that first one that you talked about is community. Uh, it's so easy to look at that and say, oh, th- this next generation, they want community. So we're going to give them community. Uh, I actually uh, had a, uh, a friend's network uh, make a post and talk about how uh, you know uh, generation z is they uh, they the, the millennials and generation z are looking to be in smaller gatherings and so call us and we'll show you how to to ramp up your community so you can have these smaller things to attract those generations to their church and 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 I was sitting there and I was like oh man they're totally missing the the, the point it's not it's it really the answer is not community it's exactly what you said it's community and then you almost under your breath, it's like centered on whatever that's yeah. mission, right? Yeah. And so it's again, if we gather for the sake of community, uh, it, people are people will get bored. I know we say this over and over again. Community is so boring.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the, well, when community is the goal, it's boring, that's right. That's right? right? When community that's is right. the goal. So like, you know, out of the church growth movement of the 80s and 90s, everything was community church, community groups, like we had to get people in community. And then people realized, uh, that's got a bell curve. And eventually, how good of a friends can we be? That's but right. when you shoot for mission, you get community thrown in. That's right. Um, and I I think that's really, that's. I mean, that's huge. Um, the, the other one I, I would say is, I, I read this marketing report, and it was talking about millennials and under, They said in marketing, don't use the word community anymore. They don't know what it means. There's so many different definitions and ideas of a community. So me as a good, I'm a, you know, Gen Xer, you use the word community. I've got a set defined idea that a lot of my Gen Xers would probably agree with. Here's what community is. But for them, they have no idea. They have no, they, they, they come to that idea of community. And they go, what do you mean by that? What does that actually mean? What does that look like? I have no idea. So marketers have started to stop, use the word. They're like, we can't use that anymore. Now, it doesn't mean that community is not important. That's like right. The, the people have got all of this stuff. It's still important. But when you're saying that's the goal, eh, you like you said, it's just it's just boring. It's not it's not the goal right. we're shooting for.
1: You got to give them something to put their hands to. Like, what are we doing when yeah. we do? Because if if we have something, that community is going to come and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be strong and it's going to be super life-giving.
0: Yeah. And to bring this full circle back, the idea with this, the sustainability of mission still needs to be done within the the context of community, right? Um, I got a guy here in town that started a missional community and he was just all alone. It was just him and his wife moving to a, a part of town that they had the vision for it. And one of the greatest things I could do was connect him with other uh, like-minded practitioners here. In this, and he's just eating it up because he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe there are other people like this in the city who think this way, who do that. And he's just dying for it. you know. But the point, again, is not just to get in a community. The point is, how are we going to be on mission and support one another as we do this thing, as we go, as we're discipling, as we're doing all the things that we do um, in, in the name of Jesus? How do we do this together? But again, the point is not community.
1: Yeah. And 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 I would say, and you know, maybe as a final best practice that I think is super crucial is, you know, especially at the margins, at the edges, um reevaluating your metric for mission. Um, you know, one of the things that that Alan says in Disciplism, um, if you guys haven't read that, um you can go to ForgeKnoxville.com or ForgeAustin.com, sign up for our newsletters and we'll get a <laughs> free copy of <about laughs> Uh Yeah. So it's out there. You can just Google it and you can find a, a free PDF copy of it. But one of the things that he talks about this idea of evangelism, discipleship, the, the slamming together of this idea, um, that the, the, the best way forward, the best practice isn't to create a laundry list of people that you feel called to, um, Now, that exercise of writing down names of people who are not yet followers of Jesus, who are in your everyday life, that's a fantastic practice. And I would encourage anyone listening, if you haven't done that, do that and encourage your people to do that. It is something beautiful when you have a list of names of people who are not yet followers of Jesus that you realize you're running into all the time. It gives you a bit of a framework to, to be praying for them. Uh, the danger that comes with that is looking at that list and then having this burden of it is now my job to proactively be on mission with every single one of them. Uh, one of the things that Al says that, I, that is just so, for me, has been so life-giving and it's been probably one of the biggest uh, aspects of sustainability in my own mission is can I give my entire life? and I'll be generous and say that I'm going to live, say, 67. (laughs) (laughs) That's not generous, but uh, maybe let's say 75. I'm going to live be 75 years old. Uh, Three quarters of a century. Um, Can I, over my lifetime, give my life away to three families and usher those three families into the kingdom of God and have them do it in a way that is so magnetic and so appealing that they in turn give their life away to three families. So that means my daughter, I have a daughter in high school. um, So that means in this phase of my life, is there anyone in my life that has has a, a kid? Similar life stage. Can I live life in a way that I'm gonna give part of my life away In a very loving, enjoyable manner, we're going to connect. We're going to have some fun. We're going to share life, the ups, the downs, maybe vacation together, um, uh, manage a world pandemic together. That's been huge (laughs) for us. Um, And and there's a family that we've actually gotten really, really close with that I could say that check one of those three families in my lifetime, we've done, we've ushered them into the kingdom of God. And now we're working on them. How do they live life now that they might usher someone else in? Um, if we all just did three and and those three in turn did it, you know, I think Al, Al did the math that it, something like 45 years, the world would be reached. And so there, there is no pressure to have every member of our congregation trying to evangelize and be on mission with 10 to 15 people. But if we could just encourage people in this season of life is there one person, one fam- one family to one family, one person to one person that you can give your life away to, that you can carve out significant time and energy to be in deep relationship with that person with the hopes and prayer of ushering them into the kingdom of God, showing them how to live life, not from a Bible study perspective, not a curriculum that I'm going to walk them through, but simply say, I want to live life with this person and give them a good season of your life. Um, that gets the job done. Now, from a pastor standpoint, that's a bit scary because that means I'm not growing my church at a, at a speed that maybe I need to for, for, uh, church sustainability, that's a whole nother conversation is how do we sustain the church so that we can, you know, do all the things that we need to do. And that's probably a conversation we can have later on. But from a mission standpoint, that is a much, much easier way to go. Um, uh, I'm, I'm part of the Baptist tribe. Uh, and one of the books that's come out recently is, uh, and I, I'm, I think the title is, I've got it right, but who's your one. And so it's this, this whole emphasis on Um, evangelism, but who's the one person you're trying to lead? I think where the book kind of missteps and again, it's a, it's good stuff. Good, good heart, good, everything to it. But again, I think it falls into the trap of evangelism. Like, Hey, how do we reach people to convince people? Um, and again, it goes to maybe some apologetics, but I think the best way forward is a missional incarnational way of life that I'm going to show you how to live, uh, the way of Jesus. Um, that's going to be my best apologetic. Now, of course, part of that is demonstrating and declaring uh, the reign of God. So of course we, words are important and all of that. Um, but yeah, I think that that the best practice of giving your life away to one person, one family, one family to one family, one person to one person, uh, and, and giving yourself plenty of permission just to go as slow as you can. If we could imagine if a congregation of a hundred, if 50 percent of their their congregation were to embrace mission in that way the impact it would have on a community uh, man that that's exciting to think about
0: yeah that's really good terry thanks for for the words thanks for the ideas obviously this is a conversation that we could have for a long time Um, and maybe we do need to sit down and talk about church sustainability at some point Uh, yeah just unpack that but Yeah, so this is a conversation we could keep going, but we're gonna end it here. Um, We're gonna say, hey, if you're still listening, we'd love to connect with you. Um, forge america would love to have a conversation with you so connect with us forgeamerica.com um, you can reach out to terry or i terry is t-e-r-r-y at forgeamerica.com or alan a-l-a-n which is the only real way to spell it a-l-a-n at forgeamerica.com would love to have a conversation with you we're excited about what the rest of season three of this forge uh, america mission podcast is going to hold uh, we're going to highlight some of our hub leaders some of the people that we're talking with we're really excited where this is going to go. So, I hope you join us for the journey, and we're looking forward to it next time. Till next time, Terry. See you. We'll see you around, buddy.
1: All right, buddy. See you, man.